Hey, folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, the Lions are on the way to the Super Bowl. The Pistons are going to make the play in. The Wings are going to make the playoffs, and they're beating preseason teams, scoring six goals a game. Michigan State's going to get back to the Final Four. Maybe Tom Izzo's going to win his second national championship. Now that Miguel Cabrera is gone, the Tigers are going to win their division. What is going on in the world of Detroit sports? And all this positivity is getting out of hand. Even I, it's even too much for me. It's getting so positive, Sean. It's exactly what you wanted to happen for so long is you may actually go to cover a Red Wings game. That's how that's how dramatic the teams are improving right now. And and I know you like to, you know, you're a bandwagon guy. You like to jump on the teams that are winning because they give you clicks and all that stuff. I get it. I get it. Um, you know, but... No, now it's not you don't have to make a choice. It's, it's, it's not anywhere. me clicks. It's not. Let's just, let, let's just. It's funny. I heard somebody uh, the other day talking about they were in radio. They were in radio and they were asked about covering a town and having to come up with a show every day when the professional teams have been so bad for a decade and what that's like and how creative and inventive you have to get. We have to do that a little bit too, right? As all the as, time as opinion writers, all the time. But the but the conversation was about. Now that the Lions are showing some promise and maybe some other teams are are uh, potentially going to be interesting in the next few years, wh- what what does that mean? And well, it's it, it it's fun, but it's ultimately it's it's good for business. I mean, they were talking about how their ratings go up, our numbers go up, and that and that's the thing. It's not me. It's I just uh, you know the newspaper business is a precarious one. So anytime we can get on a roll, you know, our editor Kirk McCawford and I have talked about this on and off for several years about what would it be like if we had several teams rolling at once and what that would mean for the business. It would be uh, very good. It would be, but you think, I think as a journalist, um, you know, there's a business aspect of it, but then there's a journalism side of it. And, you know, you and I have done this long enough that if, if you're going to hope the teams are good, you're going to, you're going to put yourself in a bad situation because that's not sustainable usually for a team here and there, yeah, but there are very few dynasties. There's very few teams that stay on rolls for an extended period. They're fun when they're happening, but that, I think that's wise because they don't happen that often. And, you know, I covered the Lions for a really long time, Sean, and most of it was horrible, right? A lot of dysfunction. And even the Dan Campbell stuff, you know, when he got hired and it was a rough start, I found that, I mean, I have had to learn how to appreciate the struggle, you know, and... This is part of it. This is part of that that time. And and when Dan Campbell and they went three and thirteen and one, and they had to f- basically fire Anthony Lynn midway, and they had to find their way and hire Ben Johnson, and they had to fire Aubrey Pleasant last year and find their way. To me, that's a very interesting arc for a team. And I think that makes it. If you're a Lions fan, especially, I think that makes the the journey even more rewarding to see where they've come to where they're going, you know, I, I, maybe everybody just wants instant success. Maybe that's what people prefer. Um, but I think you have to appreciate the struggle. And that's, as a journalist, that's what I appreciate as I like to see it. And I mean, the Pistons, the same thing. We're going to see how they do, but same thing, right? High draft picks, Kate Cunningham, injury. That that narrative is an interesting narrative if they ever become good. It's part of the journey. No, it is part of the journey. It's funny. You, you sound like Tom Izzo, who spent part of his media day... <laughs> Well, what day was that? Uh, uh, Tuesday of this week. And he talked about it. He's like, everybody wants, it's funny. It was almost not quite word for word, but it's close. He's like, everybody wants instant success. He said, but I tell my players every year, 
that when you when you find some success, it always means a lot more when it's come out of struggle, right? And 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 that's generally probably true in life. And there's no question. And I think Detroit has had its fair share. Now, Michigan State basketball, Michigan football, they've they've had their moments. Although even Michigan State basketball has been not quite to, to Izzo's standard the last few years. That his last great team was cut short with with COVID. He had a he had a pretty good team last year, and they get they started playing well at the end of the year, but. You know, we got all these subjects, and we want to we want to kind of speed our way through some of it. Since we're since we're talking about the struggle and and success coming out of the struggle, and we just mentioned Tom Izzo, I'm just I'm just curious. I got the sense yesterday. It's not that I got the sense. I you know Tom Izzo talked about this. I asked him about this. We talked to some of the players about this. There's always a sense if the football team is struggling at all up at up at East Lansing. There's more anticipation for the basketball season. There's also just general anticipation every year for that basketball season because of the program it is. But the folks up there talked specifically, you know, Izzo and some of the players talked about how it was a little different even this year because of what's happened. Partly, Izzo mentioned the shooting last fall. Um, he's even going back to COVID and how it's still not quite the same in terms of engagement in the community. Yeah, obviously, the football team and the way Mel Tucker was fired and just a lot of Spartans just kind of want to put their head in the sand, right? So do, do you have that sense? And, and and what do you think? Obviously, Izzo's got a chance to have a really, really good team this year. You never know how that plays out. But but uh, it was interesting that that was part of the talk yesterday of the, the extra, not pressure, but weight that they feel to try to help the as Izzo said, 650,000 living alums of that university, give them something to kind of change the story a little bit about what that university has been through for the last half decade. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I understand that. I, I believe it. Um, it matters maybe a little bit more for that reason right now, especially with the football program and Tucker. But um, it's just, I mean, that's, that's just their Cadillac program there at Michigan State, and they do. They've been so good for so long. The experience is tremendous. Uh, Breslin is great. I mean, it's just you couldn't ask for anything more if you're a, a, a sports fan, you know. Um, so I don't know if it's. It, it, it may be a little bit more unique because of the year that we're coming out of, because of the shooting and Tucker and all that. But um, I think they honestly, I think I'm sure, sure he knows that the team knows that they know. That their stature is just a little bit different, if not quite a bit different than any other other programs, even football on the campus. And I mean, I think Graham Couch makes the joke all the time. I, when Michigan State loses its first game, it's like, how long until basketball season? I think he <laughs> says that almost every year on Twitter or whatever. Um, so, and it's true. I mean, it's it's great um, <clears throat> as an outsider, you know, even, even before I came to Michigan, uh, from the national perspective, Michigan State football does not matter. Michigan State basketball matters a lot. And this is even before Izzo really got going, but certainly now that he's become this, you know, great, you know, iconic coach, you look forward to it. You know, it's like it's like Jim Beheim, you know, when he when he was still coaching in Syracuse, right? Nobody cares about Syracuse football, but Syracuse basketball matters on that campus. Um, so that's the that's the difference to me. But Maybe it matters a little bit more, but as soon as as soon as the you know the ball starts rolling out there for the first tip, I mean we're gonna everybody's gonna be happy to be talking about Michigan State. And what kind of what kind of team do they have now? I mean, are they gonna? You're kidding. I are you kidding? Or Final Four potential? What do you think about this year? Well, I I do think they have Final Four potential. It's funny. I was talking to some folks up at State yesterday, and one of the reasons they wanted to have the media day this week they they weren't they weren't 
shy about it is that there's a Michigan State football is on a bye week and they want to turn the conversation away from football as Smart. much as they can. They admitted that, right? I mean, now they have to have the media day uh, at some point. I think Michigan's is Michigan basketball is going to be next week, for example. But but Would it's you want to actually talk. Or are you going to sell? He's going to roll Martelli out there. Well, he, you know, it's it's interesting because you know he has had some health issues and has some mm. has stuff going That's on. That's right. He's not back so, for a while with the yeah, no, so heart issues. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. But but I thought that was interesting that they they up at state they're not they're not hiding that fact at all <laughs> that they want to they want to move. You know, hey, the bye week. Uh, God, do we really want two straight weeks of uh, how bad this program? Can we can we try to find some way? But it's interesting. One thing that really stuck with me is he said, "Look, I, I I don't like it that I feel the extra weight this this year, but I'm also privileged to have the chance to do something." And he, and he said, and he basically said, "Look, we're not going to change lives." But if you can make people smile a little bit, just think a little bit, take a pride, you know, because you and I talk about this, universities, it's so different. To, your identity's wrapped up into it so much. So if you can lessen that or make, make a Spartan feel a little bit better about themselves, that's worth something. It's hard to know, I mean, how much that's worth. How do you quantify that? You can't. But, but uh, it is always, you know, trying to downplay, look, I'm not, I'm not, you know, curing, you know, something here, right? So it's just, can you make people feel a little bit lighter? And, uh, and I guess, you know, that, that matters. So he's very aware of that. As far as the team, yeah, they definitely got Final Four potential. He's got, uh, and I don't want to, we, we'll get, as the season starts, we can we can talk about these guys more. But um, real quickly, you know, he's got 10, 11 guys. They're all uh, good enough to play. They're more than good enough to play. He's going to figure out minutes and rotation. And, and uh, you know, you, you mentioned Graham Couch. He and I were talking yesterday about chemistry is going to be the biggest thing for these guys. And figuring out uh, how to make sure everybody's together and not starting to worry about minutes and not playing, especially some of the highly touted young folks who these days come in and expect to go right away. Mm-hmm. By the way, I was at a I was at an event a couple of days ago, a few days ago, and uh, someone one of the one of the guys there was a golf thing, and one of the guys was talking about his Spartans, you know, proud Spartan alum, and someone else chimed in about you know the Spartans and he called them a Walmart Spartan. Like I've never heard that before, but <laughs> speaking to the, the pride in your university and how much you're wrapped up to a Walmart. Now that we have Walmart Spartans. <laughs> so you can't be a fan of a university unless you, uh, unless you go to the university. Right? Which is what to me is what's funny is like, you know, Izzo didn't go to Michigan state. Right. I mean, he, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, like some of the great coaches that, you know, Krzyzewski didn't go to Duke. I mean, like, it's just like, yeah, Whatever. most of these coaches are not alums. I mean, Jawan Howard is is more he's a exception, right? Yeah, yeah. No, so, it, but it's just funny that they they become the iconic image and face of that program, even never having set foot on the campus before they got hired there. <laughs> no, for sure. But uh, all right, look, uh, the, the season doesn't start up for another month or so, or close to it. I want to say, and uh, along with Michigan basketball, we we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. But let's. Let's um we're gonna get to the Lions here because they're they're the biggest uh deal in town and one of the great stories in the they're becoming the darlings of the NFL a little bit. We'll see if they keep winning. But before we get to the Lions, we we wanna mention you wanna mention, you wanna talk about Miguel Cabrera and his last weekend and the Tigers and how how we covered how we covered and how he was covered in general. And just let me just set the stage real quick for you. 
nine, he was here for 16 years. Nine of them were all time great, right? First ballot Hall of Fame great to the point where people are like, mm, he's one of the best two or three right-handed hitters who ever stepped in a batter's box. So that's, and considering we got 120 years of the sport or whatever, more than that, that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. Followed by seven years of not so great, uh, mediocre, uh, maybe really to bad. his standard, not even mediocre, right? If you're just going by, by what he'd become. So that makes it a little bit tricky. So you got seven years between the, the time when he was, must see uh, uh, viewing to wow, he's making thirty million dollars a year and he can't even hit two fifty. Mm-hmm. So, so how did how did you think about covering him and writing about him in the last week? And how do you think overall, uh, just from our larger media and and uh, the way we covered him and what the response was? Because you know fans ate it up. Yeah, it was very interesting because my my philosophy. Um, when you're writing about somebody, kind of this holistic, you know, career view, you know, wrap up is try to give a complete picture, the good and the bad. Um, I don't think it's fair to villainize somebody, you know, if, if they had a rough landing at the end, just they're, they're nothing but bad or whatever, or, uh, you know, however you want to paint it or the other way, if they were, you know, just make them out to be this, you know godlike creature, this hero, this infallible subject. So I try to bring balance anytime I do that, whether it's Cabrera or anybody else. Um, I think you need to put that in there. Um, but, you know, Sean, you, you know, we talked about this a lot. Uh, you know, different people took different tacks. And that's what makes that's what makes our business interesting, that you can make that choice. You can make different kinds of choices. Um, and, you know, I got a lot of... Criticism from readers, uh, emails, tweets, whatever. Um, but I also got a lot of people really liking what I did too. Um, you you cannot please everybody. You're never going to please everybody. It does you, you. That's if you chase that, you're lost. Um, so you got to go with what you believe is right, what your convictions are, um, and. The, especially the last day we were both there for his final day for the season ender on Sunday. And, um, the, the, the thing that I, I heard a lot, you, I'm sure you heard a lot too, was this is just Miggy's day. You need to just celebrate Miggy and why bring up any other stuff about his struggles and his issues and how much he kind of hamstrung the organization with his contract and, and all these things. Um, and, you know, some fans, it's understandable that they believe that they, they, they just want nothing but just positive glowing. We go have him go out on a high on a rocket ship where he'll be my hero forever. I'm going to wear that Cabrera Jersey until I die. Um, that's their right. Some people, you know, prefer to see it that way. And other people prefer to say, Hey, you can't just you know, excuse the entire past that not only he's responsible for, but the organization certainly is responsible for. Um, did you feel the same way? Did you feel you got equal amounts of blowback and praise or how people perceived your coverage? Uh, probably more blowback than praise. I mean, I, d- I definitely had folks that appreciated what I tried to do and understood what I tried. I shouldn't say it like that. It makes it sound like I'm not, you know, but but just agreed with what I tried to do. How about that? And uh, not understood. That's really ridiculous and pretentious but um <laughs> but yeah no I, I probably got more criticism 
then then praise it and that's and that's okay i wasn't i, wa- I wasn't hard on cabrera per se i was just include I, I just included everything that happened it, i wrote about his entire arc in in detroit and um it's interesting you know you think about how you oftentimes when you're talking oftentimes it's interesting so there, we do have tone in writing obviously but it's not quite the same as when you're when you're speaking. If you're telling a story to somebody, if you're on the radio or on television, or whatever television you obviously have the visual, but the tone is so important about what you're trying to express along with the words. And uh, it's funny because I wrote a Pistons column, and we'll talk about the Pistons, not my column in a second, but just sometimes the sounds that accompany the words can really change the meaning or heighten the meaning or whatever. But I think the tone is with, with Cabrera with with what I wrote was more about how I structured it. In other words, I started my calling off with how much you'd struggle the last seven years. That's literally my first couple sentences. If I had started off a few paragraphs of how great he's been and what an emotional weekend this has been, and then written he struggled for the last seven years, even just three, four paragraphs in, I don't bet I would have gotten as much criticism um, because then that, that shades the rest of the piece. You know, you, that's the first impression is obviously the, the first couple of sentences. And, and a lot of times that sticks with a reader through the, through the rest of the piece. So no matter how much you come back and say, well, he was great at this. At that point, you've already kind of, pop, you know, popped the balloon because you're saying, well, you stunk for the last seven years. I, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't use that language, but, and I thought a lot about that. And I think about that, that kind of stuff all the time, just, just writing and how you structure because, that's our tone. That's one of the ways we can convey tone. Obviously, we can convey tone with the words we use, but but that's one way you can convey tone that you can't do. I mean, that you do when you're. It's. It reminds me of a tone with speaking. But so anyway, that's. Uh, it didn't surprise me that I got all that criticism, Carlos. You know, I was surprised actually that I didn't get a, more criticism because I got a, a fair amount of you know, people happy with, you know, pleased with whatever I wrote, um, that they like the balance. And I, I believe that generally speaking, I have no scientific proof of this, but we used to have this old thing in the newspaper that we used to say, the editors used to say all the time was every time you get a phone call in the office, it represents a hundred readers. I believe they would say, maybe it was a thousand, I forget, but it was like, you know, so don't dismiss if somebody's calling, they represent a lot of people because the they person do. who's moved to call wants some action taken, right? So to me, generally more people tend to write to you or respond to you when they're critical and they're angry about something, right? People have their grievances, airing grievances. People are more moved by that emotion than, than happiness, generally speaking. Um, and so for, Every probably, you know, praising comment, I would say it's those people represent two or three people versus the negative comments represent fewer because um, those people come straight at you um, and people aren't as quick to praise, I think, generally. Uh, so in this kind of situation, I mean, when you're writing a, you know, really glowing profile or something like that, people are just always going to like it. But um yeah, so I, I try not to read into that too much, in it, but I do try not to be dismissive either. And I like people to have their say. It's one of the great things about social media to me, you know, is that people feel like they have their say, like they can respond. and they Because, you know, readers and fans are largely voiceless for so long, and now they get their turn to kind of, 
you know, fire back and they have do. their safe. They do. No, and I, yeah, and I don't dismiss that at all. I mean, the one thing I try to do in, in the first piece I wrote about Cabrera, not the piece off the his final game, which is more just trying to capture the scene and so forth, you know, for the for the paper. But the first Let's piece get into I wrote, that scene too. I, I tried to. Um, I, w- I wanted to capture the the sense that that so many of us have and write about so many of us the the feeling so many of us have watching an all time great decline and then eventually wrap it up and it's interesting because in baseball I, I think it's different in baseball than any other sport you, you it, it, there's no way you can hang on in the NFL for seven years if first of all you can oh, get no. hurt right I mean it's just physically you can't do it in basketball occasionally you see. Somebody hang on for a while that's not anywhere near their prime, but that but that stretch is usually not that long. It's you get cut, right? It's just different. It, you know, Kobe was to use your hometown. Kobe was not quite the same the last few years, and he tore his Achilles and so forth. But um, but it wasn't a seven year stretch, right? So so you rarely Kareem was another one who was you know had a somewhat elongated decline, but again he was still productive when you get out on the court and. For the most part, until the very end. So it's it's you, you don't. I don't know that you see it in hockey. It's really baseball. It's baseball where you where you can have or golf, but that's not a team sport, right? So the rooting interests are different. Where you have somebody out there performing that's so far past their prime. So and and it can be um, you can relate it to to life and to the cycle of life and how you think about your own career and when you get to retirement, you, you get closer to the end of your life. And, and I wanted to capture some of that, in the piece that I wrote. So I did have some people respond and really liked that and, and really connected with that and thought that was, you know, uh, so I had some really nice words for that. So that, so, you know, so at least that, that it's nice when people pick up on that, but I, Hey, like you said, it's also fine that people just didn't want to hear about his struggle. And, uh, and, and that's fine. I respect that. Like to, to your point. Well, what was it like? Let's, you know, we were there the, the final day. And, um, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are aware of all the honor honors they gave him and his kids were there and all that stuff and the, the play at first base. The Tigers did a fantastic job, you know, with that. But what was it like just, uh, you know, you and I were both in the clubhouse um, there, that those final moments with him and that day, what, what, did, it, what did it feel like to you? Did it feel... Like the appropriate send off? Did it feel? Did Miggy do anything different to you? Was he just kind of the same he's always been? Uh, what did it, you? It, how did it, you it, was a, it was a nice send off again, but it's a little bit different because it's baseball, and you have these you can have these iconic players that are that are. I mean, he's forty years old, right? Derek Jeter, I think, was forty or close to it, and um, Cabrera never connected nationally like Jeter did. He didn't play in New York. Uh, he didn't win all those World Series, but, that, but I thought about a lot of things. I mean, the, the ceremony was cool uh, in a, in a way. You know, the cynical part of me thinks: Is this a little much? Is this a little <laughs> over the top? Is it a little? Did you not get out? emotional at all? It, is it a little drawn out? I thought it was fun when the ball was hit to him at first when he got yeah. to go into first base. I, I thought, I thought, and you know, seeing his family react, and I was thinking a lot about this. Though, you know, there's been some criticism of Detroit's fans. Or some fans ripping on the other Detroit fans for like, look, yeah, he was great, but he didn't win, right? And so often we make this a zero sum game in sports, or we, you know, it's it, we make it so black and white. Now I agree, if Cabrera had been part of a World Series title, he'd be even a little more fondly 
loved or a little bit more loved than finally remembered. No question. But I think that if it's just winning and losing, you can't be a sports fan all your life and have it just be that. You just can't. I know that's what you care about the most. And that's coaches are hired and fired and players, you know, all of that. That's how we do the business of sports. But as a fan, you can't spend 60 years, Carlos, or 70 years or 50 years or whatever, just caring about winning and losing. It's not enough. There are 30 teams in every league, and you may yeah. go half your life or all your life without seeing winning. So what mm-hmm. else is going to, you know, what else is going to keep bringing you back? At some point, it's got to be about the play and the, the the movement and the sport itself. And I think that's why Cabrera is so loved, because he was so, so good. Now, obviously, his team's won. Not the whole thing, but they were good and they were competitive, and that helps a lot. But he was so, so good. It's like Barry Sanders. He's beloved because he was thrilling to watch, right? Now, he was part of a few good teams, but but and would he be more beloved if he were a Super Bowl champ? Maybe. But I think that what we've seen, and Cabrera's a reminder of this, that it can't just be about winning and losing. At some point, greatness is greatness. And, yeah. I, and I think that's what we witnessed. Yeah, and I, I think that, I mean, you're right. Um, I mean, baseball's so different. I, I I hope people aren't too wrapped up and he didn't win. And, I mean, you, you, one guy can't make that much of a difference. Even if you're a pitcher, you can't make that much of a difference through the playoffs and the World Series to win a title. You know, I mean, some great players, you know, Cal Ripken never won a World Series. I mean, it's like, what do you, how much can one player do on a roster? Um Mike Trout may never win a World Series. You know, Shohei Otani, if he stays with the Angels, you know, you can't control that no matter how great you are. It's a team effort. And I think Barry, I mean, that's like the, the, probably the view on Barry is, well, he was the only hope they had. I mean, without him, forget it. I mean, he was the only thing that gave them hope. You know, Calvin kind of the same way, right? It's like without Calvin, geez, where would they have been without Calvin? At least they were winning, you know, you know, flirting with 500 to Calvin. So, um I th- and then, you know, quarterbacks are different. Quarterbacks are measured much differently. And, you know, but I don't think with Cabrera, I think with him and, and you know, he was uh, the the thing. And, and the Jeter comparison is interesting because he was, you know, what do they call him in New York? The captain, right? He was a leader. Right. And not only did he win, but he was a leader. And, and that's the problem with Cabrera, I think, is that he was the antithesis of a leader. He was not a leader at all. He didn't like speaking with media at all. Um, he avoided it. Some people say he didn't like the attention. I mean, I don't think I think he didn't like the responsibility of it. Um, but and that's one of the things that's probably you know some of the off-field issues too. You know, sometimes when you're when you've got struggles, it changes your perspective on how open you're willing to be. Um, it's probably the thing that's going to keep him from being a unanimous selection as a first ballot um, Hall of Famer. Um, the off-field stuff and, you know, how he <clears throat> comported himself. Um, but also, you know, the the, the lack of leadership um, where you never know how much of a difference that makes. But it's certainly, for, for a player of his stature, I think that would have made a difference. And all we heard, we heard a lot of stories over the years and certainly at the end about... Hey, he, he gave this guy an attaboy and that guy an attaboy. You belong here and blah, blah, blah. And, and people were scared to talk to. I mean, it was, it was one who's Jake Rogers was telling the story on the final day. And he was saying how he was with the team for almost a year. 
and he didn't talk to Maggie and he was scared. He was intimidated to go up and talk to him. And he finally did at some point. And Maggie said, what did it take you so long? And, you know, everybody laughed. And I felt, well, why did it take Miggy so long to not go up to this young guy and say, hey, I'm Miguel Cabrera. It's great to have you on the team, man. I'm a fan of your catching. You really frame pitches well. Nothing. Zero. It took him a year. He didn't go up to a young kid. Like, what kind of a... I just don't understand that kind of stuff, you know? And there's so many... I won't get into it. I'm not going to get into the telling tales out of school, but you and I have a lot of friends in the media and so many of them were frustrated for so many different ways, in so many different ways with Cabrera. Um, and it just... Yeah, I think he could have been a much better professional because everybody, you know, everybody always called him a big kid, right? And it's like, oh, oh, he's a big kid. He's just a goofy guy, this and that. He's playful. Well, also, the truth is when you're a kid, you shirk your responsibility a lot of time. And I think that's what he did. He he didn't care. He was just like, yeah, I'm a great great player. And I wrote that one time. One of the privileges of greatness is you can do whatever you want and it's excused. So he got away with that. And he was. He was a great, great player. But he could have been more. He could have been, he could have been a, a more complete player, a leader that may have may have made a difference. We don't know, but I'm guessing it would have. I mean, we've been around teams enough. Leadership matters on teams. And it's all this like, I'm leading by example. That's such a cop-out. And it's in every sport, lead by example. That means I'm not going to do anything more than I... I just, hey, I'm going to do me. And you follow me if you want. But, you know, I'm not going to extend myself to helping other people. I'm not going to push you away, but, you know... Do what I do if you want, if you want to be great like me. But that doesn't, I, I don't think that cuts it. So that that's my, but but that day, you know, and Cabrera was the same. He talked for about 10 minutes in the clubhouse afterward and, you know, no great, no great insight as usual. Um, and that was it. And maybe we'll see what he does now. And uh, AJ Hinch, one of the things when we're talking to him in the post game was, what happens? What happens when you're done? When you're done playing, you've spent your life, this has been your life's work for anybody, whether it's him or, or Cabrera. And he said after the season, when his usual routine kicks in, when he would get ready for the season, go to, go to his batting instructor, his private guy, and this and that. And when none of that is there, he said that's when the hollowness kicks in of what, what is my life now? Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing with myself? And he's going to be an assist, special assistant to, uh, to the team president, Scott Harris. But that role is really not defined. We're, he's probably going to go down and coach a little bit in spring training, but it's going to be interesting to see what he does with the rest of his professional career, um, which starts in spring training. Uh, okay, I... Uh, it's a lot. Sorry. Too much. No, no, no. No, no it's it, it's okay. Look, we're going to take a break. I, I'm going to push back a little bit on the leadership thing. He could not have been more, and I'm going to tell you why right after the right after the break and we get into the Lions. But Great tease. Um, yeah, yeah. All right. We'll be right back with more Free Press Sports with Carlson Shaw. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlson Shaw. All right. I, when we say somebody could have been this, I, I don't buy it because they're not capable of it. I don't think Miguel Cabrera is capable of that. I just don't. And they're, it's like any other group of human beings. You, you put 20 people in a room, how many are natural leaders? One, two, at, at best. You know, the leadership by example, people say that because – 
when you get somebody that has a certain routine, let's say, and they're really, really good at what they do, and there's a there's a a method to the way they are great, the way they keep themselves in shape. That's what they mean, and that is important. And it is it is important for young people, young athletes, especially when they're coming in to see the level of work it takes for somebody who's that good. And that's all that means. I don't. I mean, it's a cliche, but there's truth to it. With Cabrera, I I was always told, I, even Jim Leland, Jim Leland said he was he was great with younger players or just even his peers and talking hitting if they wanted to talk hitting. So the Jake Rogers thing surprised me because it was usually more the other way around. I always used to wonder how much of it was the language. And I used to, uh, I had people tell me that the, 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 the weight and the heaviness he felt, the responsibility to his home country, Venezuela, that it suffocated him and that he, he didn't know how to do it, didn't know how to handle it. And as we saw, when it's the news broke, right, that he had uh, alcohol uh, struggles and so forth, that that was in part related to the expectation in this home country where he was the kind of star Michael Jordan was here, right? And, and he just didn't know how to handle it. And um, and I remember being, this is a long time ago, but uh, I, I don't think he was capable of being a leader. So do, do you fault somebody that's not wired a certain way? I mean, that, that's that's a tricky thing. Look, he, he could have been friendlier to the media, although that's neither here nor there. But I never heard stories that he was a bad teammate. You know, it's interesting we mentioned Jeter earlier, and Jeter was known as the captain. The the skill that Derek Jeter had that Miguel Cabrera didn't, aside from being in the country where his native tongue is the language, is, and that's a big thing to me, um, Derek Jeter said nothing. He never said, I, I, I was at, I was at Yankee Stadium for probably six or seven, maybe even eight series when I used to cover baseball all the time. And, you know, I'd be at Jeter's locker. Eventually they were bringing him, same with Alex Rodriguez, they bring him to a little interview room because they were just too big of stars. But he never said nothing. He was great. And, you know, like almost like a coach. So I, I thought of Jeter as like having another manager in the clubhouse, right? In that way, kind of the way he carried himself. He was almost imperious in a way. And Cabrera was like having a position coach and <laughs> who just wanted to hide out and then geek out on hitting. And um but but Jeter had that skill of looking like giving you the sense that you could know him. Or, you know, and he had this kind of cool vibe or he's stepping out of a Ferrari or whatever and got somebody on his arm walking into the latest hip restaurant and and, and down in on Soho. So that, that, and that was all part of the mystique with him and he had handlers and, but he never said it. So we thought we knew him, but we didn't. And so Cabrera, we don't know him, but in some ways to me, that's more authentic. But in any case, I'm not trying to say Cabrera was perfect. He wasn't, and he could be difficult, but for us and fans and readers don't care about that at all. And that's fine. They, they, they probably shouldn't. They, the athletes don't notice anything, but that's how I think about it. Are you are you wired? Do you have the chemistry in your brain to be able to, to navigate and handle stuff like that, or don't you? And do you fault somebody if they don't? Well, this is. I, it was funny because I, I had completely forgotten about this, and a reader sent me an email about this when speaking to the leadership issue, and they said, you know what, Octavio Dotel was right all those years ago. This was, uh, I want to say around 2013, probably, or so, 12 or 13. And Octavio Detel, pitcher with the Tigers, like called him out for not being a leader, that he, he's all about himself. 
He's not calling team meetings when he should, when the team was struggling. Um, he later apologized for it because I think he got so much blowback. And, you know, I don't know if it was Leland at the time or whoever the manager, I think it must have been Leland who probably told him, you got you to make this right because there's going to be problems in the clubhouse. And, um, and he did. He walked it back. But I think his initial comments were probably on the mark. And I think the difference is, let me put it this way, like there's some guys that you know, right? Some guys like uh, like a Charles Rogers kind of guy, like a happy-go-lucky kind of guy that, you know, they're just not going to be leaders. They're just not, it's, it's not within them. Um, even somebody like Calvin Johnson was, was very, he was quiet um, and wasn't this natural leader. Um, but Cabrera had it within him. And I think when you're, when you're an all-time player, there's a there should be a different expectation for you. You you know you have a stature, not only with the team but within the game, and when you don't step up and go a little further, I mean the Red Wings have this sign in their dressing room, right? The Tigers should have it too because they're owned by the same company. But to to whom much is given, much is expected, and I think when you're paying that much money to this guy, when he's a a great great one of the great players we've ever seen in the game, you know, he needs to do a little more. And he's a Miggy, I'm sorry, Miguel Cabrera. I know you don't like me, call him Miggy. Everybody calls him Miggy. No, call him um, what you want. He He's smart. He's not stupid. He's not dumb. He does not, his English is not that bad. He hides behind it convenient. Like the joke was like, sometimes reporters would go up to him and he's like, no, today my English is not so good, you know, whatever. Uh, he could no, speak it, English. It, it got a lot better for sure. I it got better. I, he could, uh, I, when he I could, first covered him, when he first got here, you, yeah. you could, it, a lot of times it was hard to understand him. Well, so it got also, better as it does for everybody, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the Lions have a full-time interpreter on the team and he can totally understand. He's fluent in understanding English. And he's fairly proficient in speaking it, but he, if he had any problem, he could be, Hey, speak Spanish, do it in Spanish if you want. And we'll, we'll have it translated. No problem. They're paying people to do that for you. Um, but you're right. Some people don't have it within them. I think Miggy was smart enough, um, could see that knew enough about the game that he could have done that. He could have been a better leader. But you can't call it with his team. Look, man, you can't call him a big kid. You can't call somebody a big kid and then say, be a leader. Those are, Th- those are uh, opposite ideas, and they and they clash. If you have the if you have the the person, you got to grow up sometimes. When you're a kid, you got to yeah, grow up. Yeah, but he he is not in that way. You know, I think we mistake. He's convivial and conversational at first base, or whatever. And he is smart, and he's a genius when it comes to the sport. But but those are still different things. I, I don't think we can say, "Hey, he's a big kid at forty, but hey, why aren't you a leader?" Well, you're not a leader because you're a big kid. And, and you know, and 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 that and that's fine. I don't think you it's have just, to be George Patton or MacArthur or something, but you got to like pull your arm Datsuk around was, teammates Pavel more Datsuk often and a, bring them in and, and hold hold your teammates. Anybody who played sports knows that sometimes you got to step up. If you're if you're a leader, if you're one of the not a leader, if one of the better players on a team, and things aren't going great sometimes, or if they are, both ways, you know. I, I don't think I don't think Iserman honestly was a natural leader. I mean, I think he was a quiet guy, and he willed himself. He knew he had to do this. He knew that this is what he had to do to make this team better: is call people out, have meetings, he, have whatever. Right. He he had that in him. It's and, hard to do you know, it. Nobody, Zetter, most people don't Zetterberg like to do had it. it in him. Nicholas Lidstrom had had it in him. Pablo Datsuk was one of the best players 
in in hockey when he was in his peak, you know, right? And one of the most skilled players of the modern hockey era, a magician mm-hmm. with the stick, right? And the, 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 what he could do when he was skating. I mean, it was, it was beautiful to watch. There's no way he was ever going to leave. Now, you can say, okay, well, he, Russian language and so forth. Well, Nick Lidstrom turned himself into a captain. He came from, you know, he spoke Swedish. So I, it, it, it depends on the individual. Uh, for sure. But Dacic, should Dacic have been a leader because he was one of the best players in the league? No. He shouldn't have. No, that but you had Zetterberg on the team at the time, and he was a better player, right. and Lidstrom and those guys. Right. Yeah, I mean, he, Cabrera, he didn't have to Cabrera be. Had Cabrera guys. was so far ahead of anybody else in that clubhouse that it's like his... No, his, Justin Verlander was, was just as good a pitcher, more or less just as good a pitcher as he was a hitter. Right. Right. And nobody ever criticized him for not being a leader. And he was not a leader at all. (laughs) Justin Berlin. Nobody did talk. He talked a lot. He was never, he never, you know, didn't talk. So there was the expression. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But I don't know that any of that was authentic. I mean, I'm just saying that. That's the thing. We get, we get harder for pitchers to be leaders, too. Pardon me. It's a little harder for pitchers to be leaders. They don't, it's not as common because they're not everyday players. I mean, well, yeah, well, pitchers are seen as quirkier and so forth. It's just, it, look, uh, you're right that obviously, I mean, teams need leadership, and when they don't have it, with from with the players, they they tend to struggle. I mean, there's got to, no matter how talented a team is, you, yeah, the pieces got to fit. There's got to be some kind of harmony. There, there's obviously going to be issues in every team and any group of human beings. Exactly, right? You know but, what? I but thought, not not everybody. Uh, you you can't. I, I just don't. I, I've never believed in criticizing people for not being leaders. If they're gonna, if they've got it in them, they'll be a leader. If not, they're not. Well, I guess everybody can just say I don't have it in me, Sean, and just you know what? It's uh, excuse it because I don't feel like nobody. You know, yeah, because most people are not people, leaders. How many people put fifty people in a room? How many people are leaders? People leaders aren't born; they're made. I mean, it's it's like you're called to action. The Golden State Warriors have one of the one of the ten best players in the history of the NBA, and he is not the leader of that team. Should we criticize Steph Curry for not being the leader? Well, if you have another leader, that's different. I think if you have somebody who is a leader on the team already, then you know those 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 roles sort themselves out because it's not always the best player. You're right, but in the absence of that, if you have no natural leader. Um, then, then what do you do, right? I mean, then you need you need somebody to. St- I mean, I, I I thought this, Sean. I don't know if you ever thought this, but as he was going to decline, as we saw that this contract was going, how it was going to play out, and nobody ever thought he was going to be great when he was in his late thirties or in his you know year forty season. But certainly, you you know you would expect that decline. I thought maybe he'll become more of a you know coach Miggy and adding value to the team that way, helping other players come along and, you know, Hey, I'm going to do, can't, can't do it on the field as much anymore, but I'm going to try to bring other guys along and whatever in a different leader in a different capacity. I mean, he tried to, I mean, we, we read story after story, Spencer Torkelson talked about it the other day about how, what a difference of career made in him. It's the little things. And that's, you know, I mean, you call that leadership. Some. I don't know. He did some. Yeah, no, he, he he did, and Leland Leland always used to say he was always good with that. It, it's just the criticism he got from his teammate was he's just th- there's no way he was ever going to get in the middle of the clubhouse and talk to the team. It's just it just ain't in him. 
I yeah, mean, that's probably it's, it's true. Like, what's a good, a good example was, that, of this that, is I was at the I was I was at the Pistons Media Day, right? Pistons Media Day the other day, Carlos and uh, Asur Thompson, the rookie, the 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 wing, the wing, uh, the Pistons rookie, one of the two rookies. Sorry, but was asked about Cade Cunningham. He said, "Yeah, the first thing you notice when you get around him is," I'm like, "You're really 22." He sounds like a 10-year vet. And it's true. And Cunningham carried that carried himself that way the, from the first minute you meet him. Is that are you born with that or you learn that? You know? Probably probably you learn it. I don't think you're born with it. Is Jaden Ivey ever gonna be a leader on that team? Jay, I don't know if Jaden Ivey's ever gonna be a, a a great player or not. But I doubt he's ever a leader. And that's not a criticism. It's just not who he is. You know, one of the reasons they drafted Cunningham. I think if you're a great player, it's something different is expected of you. Yeah, by people like you, but not necessarily by coaches and and, and uh, who understand that one out of every 20 human beings has got that in them, or 10 human beings or whatever, you know. Is, Izzo's talked about, getting back to Izzo for a second, he's talked about it where he's had years. He's got, what, 15 players on the roster. He's got, I don't know, 10, 12 scholarship players, however many. He said teams where he hadn't had a single leader. No matter how much he's tried, because you, you, it's it, yes, you can learn to become a better leader. But if you don't have a certain quality to you, certain few qualities to you, you'll never be one. To me, it's like an artist. Yeah, I mean that's that's fair, but that's also college versus pros. It's a, it's different. But there are pro teams that don't have leaders, and they the teams stink. Excuse me, I almost said another word, and I don't want to get in <gasps> trouble with our. Uh, <laughs> Robbie can bleep, bleep you. That's right. Fine. No, but seriously, there are pro teams that don't have leaderships or leaders, and, and those teams aren't. They don't go very, very far good. usually. No, they don't. No, they don't. Not at all. Not at all. But uh, all right, you, you, we we uh, we uh, should talk about the Lions for a second. Yes. You wrote a fun column about. I think it's your your weekly road to the playoffs column. Is that what we're calling it? Yeah. About Jamison Williams being back. And you're trying to temper the expectations. Uh, your your buddy Dan Campbell was obviously trying to do the same. And you're like, okay, we're finally in alignment. He, the coach, and I finally see something in the same way. So that that felt good. BFF, BFF. So what what do you, what do you think we're going to see from Jamison Williams when they play Carolina at Fort Field? Um, I'd say 200 yards and four touchdowns. I think is a reasonable expectation for JMO. Yeah, no, I I, I think people are. It's interesting because the lines are walking a fine balance of answering questions about what what does he potentially add to this offense versus what will he what does he need to do right away? What what do you, what are the immediate expectations versus what are the the long term expectations potential? Um, and you know, they've, they've, they've spoken the truth, Campbell and, and other coaches, you know, uh, Antoine Rondelel, his, his receivers coach, they've, they've, they've said, you know, he needs to do the little things, right. He needs to not be taking a step back. He was off for about five weeks or so with the, the gambling suspension. And, uh, you know, he's, he needed to be in shape still understand the playbook, understand where he needs to be, when he needs to be there, all that stuff, all the all little details. Um, that There's no excuse for him not at least understanding that. Um, the game shape will be different. Um, getting ready to play, you know, whatever it might be, you know, 50 snaps, full game, 
Um, that's not going to happen right away. They're going to use them more as a, a, a support role, I think Dan Campbell called it. So, and I think they should do that. I think they, I did, they need to really like kind of work him in slowly, not give him too much, build his confidence up. And I think that's the what the fans, unfortunately, they're frustrated because last year he came in and he was hurt. He missed almost the whole season and did very little. He had one catch. And then this year, you know, he gets a suspension. So he's gone after the preseason and he also had a hamstring issue at the, you know, at the end of the preseason. So it always feels like fans have been waiting for the Jameson Williams career to really get going. All this potential, the 12th overall pick, all this stuff. And I, there's probably some frustration there, right? Some of them, some questions about maturity. Um, but I think with him, he's, he's, it's just going to take some patience with him. I don't, I think, I think he has time this season. If he stays healthy, I think he has time this season to find his way, find, find his rhythm with Jared Goff, get on the same page and the, you know, all that stuff. Um, that, that will come, I think I expect it, but I won't think it'll come for, a few games, you know, it, it may take till close to the bye week after the bye week for him to really get in the flow and get to the rim. I mean, do you think, do you think that's unfair? Do you think, do you, do you want a hundred, hundred yards right away, Sean? Is that, is no, that or I, nothing I, else? I don't think that's unfair at all. I don't think it's unfair at all. I think he's, of course, it's going to take time. He's got so much speed that you could, maybe there's a random play where he takes a short cross or, or catches a little out seven, eight yards down the field and turns up field and the DB slips and he's 60 yards down the sideline. You could, you know, you could see something like that. In fact, uh, Dave Burkett wrote a, wrote a good piece kind of talking about, talking what he'd, he'd talked with Randall L, right? About his experience in Pittsburgh and uh, a receiver yeah. there had sort of similar speed. Uh, his name escapes me, sorry. But but the idea was that every, everybody thinks of a speedy receiver as just catching a 40-yard ball down the sideline, right? But but what that kind of speed can do is you take a short pass and if there's a lane, you know, you're gone. And yeah. so so maybe maybe he catches something like that in the next few games. And you're like, oh, okay. And you, so and, and, you, and you see that. But I'm with you. It, it, it's going to take a while, um, I would think. You know, and I mean, they're still trying to work Jameer Gibbs in. Who's, I mean, Jameson Williams is essentially a rookie in terms of playing time, right? This will be his, yeah. when he plays against Carolina Sunday, this will be his seventh game or eighth game? Seventh game, eighth game? Not even seventh, half a season. Yeah. Seventh. So so he's in a lot of ways a rookie. He missed the, he missed the first training camp. He missed because, you know, he was covered from an ACL injury. He, the second one, he missed part of it because of the hamstring. So he's essentially a rookie. And, uh, yeah, they've, they've got to figure out how to get him going and then and then Jameer Gibbs. And it's going to be interesting to watch. Meanwhile, Amon Saint, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown and Sam Laporta and Josh Reynolds are just going to keep it steady and the you know, defense keeps doing its thing. That They should be fine. All right, let's take uh, one more quick break, Carlson. Go back with favorite thing. Perfect. My favorite thing, which is I'm stealing from you this year or this time. All right, we'll be right back with more Free Press Sports with Carlson, Sean. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. It's that time of the show. We get to hear Carlos's favorite thing. Um, and that's really all that matters. Uh, you don't need a favorite thing from me. Uh, oh, let, let's, let's, uh, let's hear it, bud. Actually, my favorite thing is inspired by you, Sean, because we were talking about this last week. 
when I was in Green Bay and we we're chatting on the phone. I'm standing in the just came back from a wonderful breakfast at Denny's, um, you know, on our on our uh, very uh, you know generous uh, daily allowance for eating. So. Uh, it was wonderful, and I'm sitting in the parking lot. We're talking on the phone, and and you told me a really fun story, a really great story about um, how um, back when you were young, <clears throat> you knew a young lady who was a witch, who confessed to you that she was a witch, and um, it was a it was just a fun, <laughs> fabulous story, one of these quirky uh, Windsor Windsor Windsorian uh, tales, which is what your book should be called. Uh, and it just reminded me of the time when we were all young people in our early twenties and we had more of these kind of encounters, um, with people who were very interesting, who came through our lives and passed through and, and would tell, would tell us interesting things about themselves. And, and, um, I guess when you're young, you figure that this will always be the way that you'll always just meet different kinds of people in your life. And, but your circle of friends, your sphere of, of people that you interact with, uh, as you get older to really get smaller. And it's harder to make friends, obviously, when you get older as you're, you know, you have families and all these other things and kids and different responsibilities, you know, as much free time, unless you're Sean Windsor and you're Mr. Uh, Man About Town, but most of us aren't. So, uh, our circles get smaller and we don't meet these people as much and these interesting people that made me try to go back and think about my time and, around that age in college, a little bit after, um, and all the different people that um, maybe hadn't thought about in a long time. Um, and I never met a witch, Sean, but uh, I wish I had. So um, it made me it made me really happy to know that um, that you had met, had that experience and that that person is out there probably still somewhere. <laughs> and uh, hopefully, hopefully I don't get hexed for this. But uh, that was my favorite thing last week. I hope, uh, I hope that person is still out there. Yeah, that was... It's true. The older you get, the, for most of us, the, your world does tend to shrink a little bit. And, you know, you try to get out. and It's not that, I mean, I don't go out and party or do anything like that. But um, but it's easy to, to get into a place where you're not socializing much, you know, especially th these days, you know, COVID obviously kind of gave us all permission to, uh, to retreat and, and cocoon, so to speak. And and huddle up with uh, a person or two and, and have that be socially okay. And nobody's saying, Hey, what's wrong with him there or her? They're never coming out. You know, COVID kind of gave us permission to do that. And I think a lot of us have kept that. And, and you combine the fact that you can bring everything into your house now electronically, you can stream everything and the quality of, you know, I mean, some people might have different ideas, but you can get, you can get good television programs from all over the world in your living room or your den or wherever it is, your bedroom. And that's made it even easier, Carlos, to to stay home. You can travel that way almost. I mean, right? I've I've seen a lot of a lot of parts of the world. I give it, get, you know, if it's a fictional show, it's you, you don't know how completely accurate that is to the culture, but but you still pick up a lot of stuff, and and it just, I guess, it gets easier and easier. I mean, obviously, with all the <laughs> services to bring food to your house, to bring groceries to your house, to bring any kind of service to your house, it's just gotten harder and harder. So. I try to um, this to socializing for me isn't just going to meet people. Although I do try to do that from time to time, you know, I've like that's why I've come to your softball games a couple of times. It's just it's the experience of getting out and seeing something a little, you know, going to Belle Isle and 
and watch them. But to me, it's just even little things like, you know, I run errands for people. I like to, I like to uh, go pick up a prescription for somebody. I like to drop somebody dinner if I'm going to get, you know, Thai food at a carryout. Hey, can I, can I drop you something? I, I try to do that, have those little interactions. And that, that's basically my social life, talking to people behind the registers, you know, <laughs> conversation, just small talk. Uh, but it's not always small talk either. It's not, it's not deep personal talk, but at least you're staying connected. So that's, that's, uh, you know, and I, 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 I don't have a specific example of that this week, but I've done that. I do that all the time. So that'd be my favorite thing for this past week. It's just, you know, and I feel fortunate that sometimes it's, oh God, you know, I had to take, uh, I had to get up early and take, uh, take somebody to the airport or do this or whatever. But, uh, but no, you, I, I feel like that's a privilege and, and um, the older you get, like you said, yeah, the harder it is to meet people. So just being out in the world and doing the, the, the mundane stuff, I think, is uh, is not a bad thing. It helps keep the world from from shrinking. So, yeah, that's my favorite thing. People are your favorite thing in connecting with yeah, them. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. We need to thank, uh, well, we need to thank Robin Chan for making this possible. How about Robin's our favorite thing? Because he makes... He's always, he makes, well, he's always our favorite thing. So yeah, it makes that would be redundant. I want to thank thank uh, you. We don't need to thank anybody. Thank anybody else, do? We? Oh, I guess we need to thank the Kirkland Crawford Sports Editor, Anjanette Delgado, and uh, Nicole Avery Nichols, the uh, editor of the Free Press. And who else do we need to thank, Carlos? The listener, our one listener. We need to thank them for sticking with us and uh, making this show possible. And. Uh, and if you like what you hear from Sean, if you agree with him, as you better, um, or you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be wrong, uh, drop us a line. That's you know, whatever, okay. Uh, wherever you hear this, send him an email, a text, uh, a DM, whatever you want, and uh, subscribe to the podcast. You can find it on Spotify or Apple or uh, MySpace, and uh, let us know what you what you think. Rate us, subscribe, and let Sean know how how much you love him. No, no, no. I'm, I'm often wrong. Um, although this is a podcast for MySpace, that sounds good. No, I'm, I'm wrong all the time. That's the, that's the point. All right. It was fun. Carlos, as usual. Thanks, everybody, for uh, for listening. And we'll be back with you next week. More Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean.